I'm really curious by show of hands how many ladies woke up yesterday at 5 a.m. to watch the royal wedding. Go across the room, anybody? Wow, so this must have been something my wife was excited about. She called me uh, Friday night. She's traveling out of town uh, to see her sister and family and took the kids. And and I'm just going to tell you, I do not like being here in town when they're out of town. Uh, Man, I miss them already. And uh, but she asked me Friday night. She said, hey, are you waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning? And I said, for what? And she said, uh, to watch the royal wedding. And I said, hard pass on that, babe. Uh, I got to go work out, you know, I'm going to go work out instead. Um, But if you watch the royal wedding, you may have found yourself going, wow, I'm jealous of this wonderful wedding and all the resources that they have and this amazing, I believe, Jaguar that cost half a million dollars that they were riding off in. And you may have said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm jealous, but really, you're not really jealous. I mean, it's okay that you didn't have that. And, and we use that terminology a lot of times when a buddy uh, may have tickets to go to a big ball game that we would love to be at. And we go, oh man, I'm jealous. I hope you have a good time. We're we're not really saying I'm jealous. I don't like you because you get to go to that sporting event and I don't. We're not friends anymore because of this jealousy. That's not what we're saying. We're just saying, man, that's really cool that you get to go and have that experience. That's really cool that you get to go to Hawaii for 10 days. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to settle with PCB, you know? Um, That's great. I'm, I'm jealous that you get to go do that. And, and really, we're probably not saying, you know what, I, I wish that um, you get stuck over there in lava. Um, but we're just saying that, you know, that's, that's just great that you get to do that. Uh, a lot of times when we say we're jealous, we don't really mean that we're jealous. A lot of times when we're jealous, we don't admit it. A lot of times when we're jealous, we just stay silent or we act out in a different way, but we, we can still that we're jealous. So a lot of times when we're really jealous, we don't tell anyone. And then also when we have disdain for other people, when we don't like them, many times we may not just come right out and say, I don't like you, uh, but it's in our behavior. It's in the way we treat them, the silent treatment or the things that we may say to them in front of them or behind their backs. And when we look at the passage today in Judges chapter 12, there's just sometimes when you're going through the Bible and you're going, what do I do with this passage? And as I began to dig deep into it, it, it was it was very clear to me that there are two things between two groups of people, and that was jealousy and disdain. And so I want to today for us to look into scripture, Judges chapter 12. Uh, If you're opening up your Bibles, if you have a pew Bible, you want to take that Bible right there in front of you, uh, you can turn to page 212 and you'll be right there in Judges 12. I invite you to read along, but here are two things we're going to look at, jealousy and disdain. And, And here's the title of today's message, the fatal results of jealousy and disdain. And so may we not approach this message today and go, I don't have a problem with either one of those. Like I'm, I'm pretty good in this area. Just, just listen, dig deep with me into the passage, let the word speak, and let's just see how God works in our hearts today. Okay, so the first, the first point is the fatal results of jealousy. Verse one, the men of Ephraim were called to arms and they crossed the Zaphon and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and did not call us to go with you? 
we will burn your house over you with fire. Jephthah said to them, I and my people had a great dispute with the Ammonites. And when I called you, you did not save me from their hand. And when I saw that you would not save me, I took my life in my hand and crossed over against the Ammonites. And the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? So right as we start out the gate here in, in Judges chapter 12, we see something very similar that we saw also in Judges chapter eight, when we were looking at Gideon defeating the Midianites. And it began like this in Judges eight, verse one. And the men of Ephraim said to him, what is this that you have done to us? Not to call us when you went to fight against Midian. And they accused him fiercely. So this is their behavior, but we're looking at years apart here. So this is probably their children's children um, that are upset now um, because they didn't get invited to go into battle. And as a side note, last time when we looked at this in Judges chapter eight, we said it's easy to act big and bad once the major battle has been won. I mean, we can be notorious for this. I mean, a play has already been run and then we say, oh, they should have run to the outside while they run in the middle. Or why they run on the outside? The middle was wide open. Or, or why didn't they pass the ball? I mean, the guy was wide open downfield. And when they pass the ball and then it's intercepted, we go, why didn't they run the ball? I mean, we, we, we call shots after they've already been played. And we do this in life. And these men think that they would have gone into battle. But we ask the question, would they really have actually gone into battle when they talked to Gideon? I mean, they, they acted big and bad, but would they have really gone if they were asked? But they weren't asked to go to defeat 120,000 Midianites, which Gideon and his 300 took care of by the power of God. They weren't invited to come along because if they would have come along, they would have made the battle about themselves. And God's intention all along is that he is the one who wins our battles. He is the one who defeats the enemy. Ultimately, he is the one who defeats sin in our life. It's not us, it's him. And so in Judges 12, once again, Ephraim was late to the party and they arrived with the same angry, self-righteous attitude as before. Now, when, when this happened with Gideon, he appeased them. He flattered them. He says, oh, you guys are great. You're strong. We didn't really need you. But that's not the same here with Jephthah. Jephthah will handle it a little bit different. In fact, a whole lot different. And so some time has passed since then, but their jealousy remains the same. And this time their jealousy appears to be even more enraged against their brothers. And that's what jealousy does. You, you just don't control jealousy. Jealousy grows out of control. And so it burns like a fire within us until we can no longer hold it in. And that's exactly what we see in the end of verse one. We will burn your house over you with fire. Literally because of the jealousy that's within them and because of the success that Jephthah has had against the Ammonites, they're coming against him and saying, you didn't ask us to go along. We're gonna burn you. We're gonna burn your house down. There will be nothing left of you. We will, we will show you who is the ultimate victor here. Who are the ones that are in charge of Israel? That is us, not you. That, that's their whole approach. They're highly offended because now Jephthah appears to have more power than them. They're jealous. So the Ephraimites were an arrogant, critical, envious, self-important group. But listen to this. It is true that if they were asked to go to battle, they wouldn't go. We get our answer here in chapter 12. They were called upon 
and they did not go. You know, what's interesting is that they always seem ready to fight against their brothers, but never against the enemy. One commentary put it this way. It is important that we realize the kind of ignorance the Ephraimites represent. It was an ignorance of their God-given responsibility. They were happy gathering up the soil and they were very quick to defend their rights and privileges, but they had no taste for battle. God had called them to join in the fight against the people on the land, but Ephraim was only willing to stand back and criticize until the battle was won. What about us? Are we like the Ephraimites? Will we say we'll go and do something, but when called upon, we step back and we just watch and we criticize in the background. We're highly critical of things that don't succeed or even things that do succeed. We're highly critical saying we would have done it some other way. Our way would have been better. We cannot stand that somebody else receives the notoriety and the praise other than us. It's hard for us to root for other people because we're sitting there going, man, I wish it was me. Man, I wish people would recognize all the hard work that I do. Why should I clap for them? Why should I high five them for, for what they've done? I mean, I didn't get noticed. I don't know, teenagers, if you deal with this, and I mean, we are in that season of awards where you work hard in school and people are recognized for it. Maybe you were recognized for something or maybe you weren't. Maybe in your heart, you're going, I worked just as hard as that person. And if anything, I should get most improved student. I mean, come on, recognize my hard work. And yet in our hearts stirs this jealousy for not being recognized. How can we take on this attitude of the Ephraimites? It's easy. We become critical. We can sit back and neglect our calling to go make disciples, church. All the while expecting others to respond to the call. And then we criticize how others serve. We can be this church. We, you, you can be a member of this local church and you can sit back with the attitude of, I've done a lot around here. Now it's time for other people to pick up the pace. And we become highly critical of the way they do it. And we say, that's not how we used to do it. But yet you don't find yourself serving. That can easily happen. It, it can easily happen as you go out into the community and you're saying, I know that I need to share the gospel, but I am just too busy. I've got too much on my plate. and People don't understand how busy I am. It's funny that we're all busy and that nobody has time for God. But yet God who created the world and sees all things in existence and oversees all things has time for us. How can we look back to the God who made us, who loves us, who sustains us, who empowers us? And we say, I just don't have any time for you, God. The truth is we do have time, but we choose to use that time elsewhere. And so we become highly critical of other people who do take the time and share the gospel. We'll say things like this. Oh, they're too radical. They're too bold. I mean, really, you're going to go to the mall and you're going to go share the gospel. I mean, you're just not going to go shop. I mean, you're going to stop and you're going to actually pass out a track. You're going to share the gospel with somebody right here and there, just in Walmart. You're just going to share the gospel. Okay. When it's burning on their heart to make him known. And we would say, mm, that's just not something I would do. That's just, that's just not me. And you know what? Maybe it's not you, but have you stopped recently to think what God could do through you in spite of you, in spite of your weaknesses, in spite of your preferences for his glory? That's what we're getting at. And so for us, 
it's easy for us to become highly critical of others who are, who are going out there and doing because we would say, I would rather be an advisor than be a laborer of the gospel. I mean, we can, we can speak it. We can tell people how to live for God. But what about being a laborer of the gospel, the going and doing? We may be able to tell others what to do, explain the gospel in detail, but our actions are lagging far behind. But don't worry, we have a good excuse for it. D.L. Moody once said this. A man once came up to D.L. Moody and said, Mr. Moody, I don't like the way you preach the gospel. You know, Mr. Moody said, I'm, I'm always willing to learn. Tell me about the method you use. I guess I really don't have one, the man said. Well, I'll tell you what, Mr. Moody said. I like the way I do it better than the way you don't do it. Think about that for a minute. We like to criticize things that we don't like, but then all of a sudden we stop and go, okay, well, how would you do it? Well, I don't know. I just don't like the way you do it. And at the heart of that many times, whether that be in our family, whether that be at work, whether that be in the local church, we may find that there is jealousy that somebody else is actually doing it and we're not. And in this case, Jephthah actually went to battle. The Ephraimites did not. And they sat back. And so what is the danger of becoming jealous like the Ephraimites? Because listen, it, it's not going to work if I stand up here today and say, don't be jealous. Because you're going to go, I already know that. I already know not to be jealous. But you, you need to understand, it's dangerous to be jealous. And why are we jealous? So, so let's look at that for a minute. It's, it's dangerous to be jealous. Why are we jealous? Well, when others are success, successful, we desire the notoriety or appreciation that they receive for a job well done. Why is this? Established purpose. What is my purpose? That person seems to have discovered their purpose. They're getting recognized for the great things that they do. What is my purpose? Why am I here? What am I striving to do? I'm kind of lost right now. I'm running in circles. I'm doing all this hard work. I'm taking care of the kids and nobody seems to notice. Working hard at work and, and I never get any type of accomplishment, never get employee of the month. I, I do a lot of work around the local church and nobody is sending me thank you notes and saying, hey, thank you for all these things you've done. Nobody is pausing to recognize me. What's the purpose? What's the point? That's where jealousy begins to take root when we don't understand our purpose. And so we begin to attack and we begin to look outwardly at other people and we think, you know what, what they're doing, I can do that. I'm just as good as they are. Who do they think they are? Why are they being recognized? When will somebody recognize me? And that's deep down within us. That's when we daydream. We daydream about things surrounding us. Do you ever just daydream about God getting the glory in your life? All the amazing things that God can do. Do you, do you find yourself daydreaming about those things? So why couldn't they find their purpose in being the children of God and enjoy the peace that had now been gifted to them through the recent victory of the Gileadites? Why, why, why couldn't they enjoy that? To go, wow, we have victory. We don't have battle. We don't have a foreign enemy to fight. This is great. Thank you, God, for all that you have given us. It's because their purpose was lacking and they needed notoriety. And so you may ask, is this really dangerous? 
Yes, jealousy is very dangerous because we read in Proverbs 6, 34, for jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. This is where jealousy leads. It's not just an innocent jealousy. I mean, it seeks revenge and it seeks to destroy. So if you're taking notes, let me mention these three things rather quickly about jealousy. One, jealousy warps sound judgment. It warps sound judgment. This is all the more why we need accountability in our lives to people speak into our lives, to see how we're living our lives and and for us to explain our motives so that we can together iron sharpening iron. So one man sharpens another, we come alongside each other to make sure that our judgment is not warped, but jealousy warps sound judgment. It takes root when our love for self overtakes our love for others. And when we replace God as the central focus of our worship, then we become jealous. Secondly, it provokes us to anger or sadness. We may lash out or simply ignore the one uh, our jealousy is set on, or we may stir up dissension or go into hiding. Either we go to attack or we separate ourselves. That's what jealousy does. And then finally, it leads to destruction, broken relationships, friendships, harm towards another person's reputation. Jealousy is not satisfied until you destroy the one whom you're jealous of. Now, it may not be in this scenario where you go to somebody, and I sure hope not, that this past week you said, I'm going to burn your house and you with it. So we can set up a counseling time right after this, all right? But you may have felt that in your heart. You may have been enraged to a point to where you literally can't stand somebody right now. And you can't get it why they're having success. Listen, listen. Church, we studied this in community group not long ago. You may be upset with the world because you're you're telling yourself this, I I pray, I read my Bible, I share the gospel, I I set set apart myself from, from things that would cause me to stumble and yet I'm struggling in my life. And then people over here, they party, they just do whatever they want to do. I'm pretty sure they don't ever give a a penny to the local church and they just do whatever they want to do. And they seem to be so successful and happy in life. I'm jealous of that over there. Do you know why that's happening? Because you've replaced God in your worship and you've put something in its place. For the Ephraimites, instead of them pausing and just being grateful for all that God had provided for them, Maybe there could have been peace in their lives, but instead they put their jealousy upon another people, their own people, upon Jephthah, their own brother. See, at this point in Judges, there's no external enemy. It's all internal now. There's no foreign enemy that they're battling. Now they're battling themselves. This is not what God had intended for Israel but this is indeed where they find themselves. The cure for the sin of envy and jealousy is to find our contentment in God. Sadly, the Ephraimites could not rejoice in the victory of the Gileadites, rejoicing in the great God who delivered them to the promised land and provided for their every need. Instead, they thought they needed more. And Charles Spurgeon says, self-love is no doubt the usual foundation of human jealousy the fearless another should by any means supplant us. 
But here's the truth, church. We do not have to fear another person supplanting us when God is at the root of our lives. And so there are fatal results of jealousy, but there are also fatal results of disdain. Read with me as we continue in verse four. Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead struck Ephraim because they said, you are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites, in the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. And the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, let me go over, the men of Gilead said to him, are you an Ephraimite? And he said, no. They said to him, then say Shibboleth. And when he said Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Then they seized him and slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. At that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. When, when I read this uh, passage, I can't help but think about Robin Hood men in tights. Little John who's standing on the log bridge and Robin Hood comes and tries to pass. And he says, a toll is a toll and a roll is a roll. And if we don't get no tolls, then we don't need no rolls. And there they began to battle with sticks. I mean, I guess if, if you like that type of humor, it's great comedy, but sadly, this is no comedy in Judges chapter 12. This is tragic. It's brother fighting against brother and Jephthah develops a grudge that he is just not willing to let go. So we go from jealousy of, of wanting what somebody else has to, to now we, we come to this attitude of, I can never let it go, what you've done. Disdain, dislike, hatred towards someone else. It's the, how could you ever do that? Now, we may be able to relate to this one rather easily. I'm sure there's all of us in this room that could look back at a time when we've been done wrong. And there's some of you in this room, when you speak of your past, I mean, there's some horrible things that have happened. And maybe it's in your heart, you go, I could never, ever let this go. And I hate that you are dealing with that and that is of your past. And it's something that remains in your present and will remain with you in your future as long as you're not able to let it go. And, and, and there are no magic words to give you except to say, hey, take hold of the promises of God. That's power. You can trust in his grace and his goodness and you can look to him and know that he has forgiven you of every offense that you have committed against him, Christian. That's where you find the strength. It's where you find the power for your disdain. But just like we said with jealousy, disdain begins somewhere and it begins with frustration. We get frustrated because somebody disappointed us or we disappointed someone else. And you know what? They responded with anger. And we're saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm just a child or I'm, I'm only human or I make mistakes. Can't you forgive me? But yet they hold us to the standard that we could never meet. And yet this, this thing grows within us towards another. 
And then it kindles an attitude of vengeance. We just can't let it go. Every peaceful moment is ruined with a vengeful heart. Things we create in our minds that we would do to that person if we only had the chance. Things we would say, if if I just had that moment over again, here's what I'd say instead. And for Jephthah, this is stirring in his heart. I mean, he did not take it too kindly that they said, we will burn you and your house over you. This comes on the heels after Jephthah made a vow to the Lord that, hey, we go defeat the Ammonites. And when I come home, whoever comes out of that door, I will sacrifice them to you, Lord. Was that godly? No, it was not godly. That was idol worship talk. But yet he made a vow unto the Lord and he kept the vow unto the Lord. And the one who walked out of the door was his daughter, his only daughter. And after a couple of months, he slaughtered her. And then on the hills after this victory come the Ephraimites who say, I'm going to burn you in your house. Do you think he was in any mood to play? No. Vengeance in his heart. Which leads to destruction. So it wasn't enough that they won the battle against the Ephraimites. But then they went to the Jordan and they went to the narrow crossing And they stood in its way so that all of those men of Ephraim who went and hid to escape and save their life, when they would return back home and have to cross the Jordan, they stood right in the way. And I don't know what the whole deal with Shibboleth and Sibboleth is and why they couldn't pronounce their H's. I don't know. Maybe it was a different school system. Not sure what was happening here. But for some reason, they just struggled with that. They just could not nail it. And so it was a dead giveaway that if they were to come across the Jordan and they couldn't pronounce it, they would kill them right there. They killed 42,000. It's a bloodbath. That's vengeance. That's destruction. That's where disdain leads if we allow it to stay within us. Israel had now become its own worst enemy. More dangerous to itself than the surrounding nations. And Jephthah's hard-hearted legalism costs the lives of many. You know, here's what will happen. Your family will recognize this if you have disdain in your heart and it's just stirring. Your family will recognize it. They'll see a difference in your behavior They'll see that you withdraw from others. You don't crave fellowship. You don't possess joy because you have sin reigning in you, Christian. It ruins relationships and not just the one that you're upset with. It ruins the good relationships that you have. Timothy Keller says, Where am I too quick to judge my fellow Christians? What differences within Christianity do I use as opportunities to look down on others? Who am I refusing to forgive? Relishing deep down the opportunity to shun them. Again, we see that all too often the church's greatest problem is the church. We like to talk about heightened persecution around the world, and it is. There's persecution going on around the world and Christianity spreads in the, in the midst of persecution because you cannot kill the gospel. But in a land of peace, who's the enemy? 
Who do we battle with the most? <clears throat> Is it the media? Is it left side, right side? Is that who we battle with the most? No. You know who we battle with the most? Each other. Each other. You know who we also battle with? Other local churches. And I just want to speak very clear on this in a, in a loving manner. You may be coming from another local church. And, and I'm saying this throughout all time. So if this is you particular right now, I did not think of you last night and go, ooh, this would be a good zinger. I'm going to get them. But you may have disdain in your heart towards another local church. And you rejoice when they fail. And it bothers you when they have success. And you say, yeah, 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 they're successful because they don't really preach the gospel. That's why, that's, that's why they baptize so many people. That's why. You know what that does? It destroys our influence here in Valdosta, Georgia. And you know what that's not? That's not a win. And so lovingly, if we're in conversation and all of a sudden you start talking bad about another local church, you know what you're going to get from me? Hey, can we change the subject? Can we talk about something else? Or maybe you need to go make that right. It really is about the church. It's not just about Perimeter Road Baptist Church. You realize God is much bigger than this place? Isn't that great? That we don't serve a God that can be confined in these walls, but he is far beyond these walls. He is throughout all that we see. And so if you're hurting towards another local church, go make that right. How often do you hear that? When, hey, when another church is rejoicing because of great things that are happening, rejoice with them. We are the church bought by the blood of Jesus. And so not only disdain within this local body, which we'll face our battles too, we've been there, we'll be there again at times, but also from one local church to another. May we be a local church that sets a good representation of Christ Jesus. And so with that, I'll say this. Uh, Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in his city in Gilead. That was a short time for him, six years, that's it. I imagine it's hard to, to reign as judge with that hatred in your heart. First Corinthians 3.3 3 says, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So what the gospel does is it leads us out of being only human. It leads us into Christ likeness. And in this, we see that his response, Jephthah to the Ephraimites, he says, you know, Yahweh has, has brought victory to us, but it's interesting that he only uses Yahweh after he says, through, through my hands did we attain the victory. And you know what, in this passage, God is awfully silent. We don't hear God speaking. We don't hear Jephthah going off to decide to seek counsel from the Lord, just silence. As, as the end of chapter 11 ended tragically with Jephthah killing his daughter and there's just silence, we, we turn to chapter 12 and there's just darkness and God's silent, meaning they're not worshiping him. This is a scary place, but listen, this is not where we have to live. This is not where you have to live your life in darkness. There is hope in Jesus. 
And thank goodness that as we look to Jesus, the better judge, here's what we realize, that Jesus came to heal us of our jealousy towards others. We behold him as God in the flesh. Man, if God would just come down and reveal himself, he has, and his name was Jesus. He came, he revealed himself, and our hearts can rejoice in the promise fulfilled because our true fulfillment comes by making much of him and less of us. That's where the joy comes in. That destroys jealousy within us. That's what Jesus will do. He will cure you of your jealousy. John 3, 26 through 30. And they came to John and said to him, this is when John the Baptist had been baptizing and now they're speaking of Jesus. Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Verse 27, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Why? Because verse 30 tells us he must increase, but I must decrease. That's how Jesus heals us. Because we can have a joy that is complete. Our work can be complete and satisfying as we look to him and let him increase in our lives and we decrease, which means we make it less about us every day and more about Christ. All for his glory. This kills jealousy. And now we can be jealous for him, for his name's sake. And I love how the Bible just connects all together. If you're thinking that the Old Testament doesn't connect with the New Testament, oh, you couldn't be more wrong in this. It connects all together. And here's what we see in Psalm chapter 106, verse eight. Speaking of the Israelites whom he saved out of Egypt, the psalmist says, yet he saved them for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. This is speaking of the point when they got to the Red Sea and they're doubting God. And then he splits the waters. He saves them. Why did he save them? For his name's sake. Christian, why did Christ Jesus save you? For his name's sake. And when we believe this and live this, rejoice in this, we destroy jealousy within us. Not only that, Jesus came to heal us of our disdain towards God and others. Can I go back real quick? Somebody just say yes. Thank you. Did you pick up on John 3, where they were? They were at the Jordan. And John the Baptist is saying, that one over there, he's greater than me. I rejoice that he's here. In Judges chapter 12, did you pick up on where the slaughter took place? At the Jordan. What a difference Christ makes. We don't have to stand at the Jordan and slaughter one another. We can stand at the Jordan and we can rejoice in a savior. This just kills jealousy. And Jesus came to heal us of our disdain towards God and others. Romans 5, 8 through 10. But God shows us love for us and that while we were still, say it with me, 
sinners. Now we'll, we'll do that again. Here we go. Verse eight. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners. What place were you in when God first loved you? You were a sinner. As was I. And what did he do about it? Christ died for us. That's what he did. Verse nine, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. I wish that we could have seen in in Judges chapter 12, a reconciliation. I wish that we could have seen instead of 42,000 men slaughtered that Jephthah says, you know what? You were in the wrong. Let us look to God. Let us go to God on this matter. Instead of them pushing God aside out of their minds, out of their sight and killing one another. I wish we could have seen the reconciliation, but Christ Jesus brings reconciliation where we, when we were sinners, enemies to God because of what Christ came to do, not waiting on us to get our act right. But he came when we were at our worst. He died for us to reconcile us. That word reconcile means kata alasso. Kata means down to the exact point. Alasso means to change. He came to reconcile, which means he came down to the exact point to change. Had a conversation with a lady yesterday and she was like, you know, yeah, I get that Jesus came, but if I'm going to believe he needs to come see me today. And I said, time out, time out, time out, time out. Who who is your authority? Who's your ultimate source of authority? She says, well, God, I said, no, no, he's not because God has already sent his son. But what you're saying is because he didn't act in your time, it is not sufficient. And maybe that's your same thinking right now. You're like, God, I need to see you today. I need you to send Jesus back because I wasn't here 2000 years ago. I'd like to meet him. And yet we have the blessing of holding his complete word here before us. And it all connects together and it all points to Jesus. And he is the sufficient one. What he did 2000 years ago is still valid for today. And he can reconcile because he came to the exact point. The time when God had ordained to send his son, he came at that point. What did he do? He came to change. This idea of reconciled was originally used for the exchanging of coins. A person's to change from enmity to friendship. And so when you go to a different country, you have to exchange currency in order to buy things. Now you just, when are we kidding ourselves? We just use credit cards these days. It used to be a good example. But when we look to this word reconcile, what took place? There was an exchange. He took our jealousy. He took our disdain and he died for it. 
He paid the price for it. So when that jealousy begins to well up inside of us, or we just can't seem to get over something that somebody else has done to us, you know what we can remind ourselves of? Christ died for this. I can be set free of this. It does not have to lead to destruction. It can lead to life. It can lead to reconciliation. And this is my hope for us, church, that we will seek reconciliation where there's jealousy. We will seek reconciliation where there is disdain and that we will walk in the freedom of Christ Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together. And now as we ponder what we have heard, will you continue to work? Father, when we read back on this passage, may we see it right there before us where there is jealousy and disdain, but then we're reminded of what Christ has done and how he brings reconciliation. There's been an exchange. Thank you. Thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It would be impossible for us to clean ourselves up, to rid ourselves of any sin, most especially jealousy and hatred towards others. So Father, when we begin to feel like we're more righteous than someone else, more deserving of someone else, more entitled than someone else, will you remind us of what we've heard today? And through your goodness and your grace, will you work mightily to heal us? Father, we thank you for your word. First in Jesus' name we pray, amen.